Morning, church. And it is, uh, it's been nice to wake up and it not be really hot in the mornings and see the autumn weather. And I, this is my favorite time of year. I am an autumn person. I love it. So I'm very thankful for this. If you've not been with us for a little bit, or you're not sure where we're at, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And what we do is we, we take whole books of Scripture, and Chris and I share the preaching responsibility, and we preach through entire books of Scripture together. And so we're working our way through 1 Corinthians 5. It's not like we're, uh, or 1 Corinthians, it's not like we're kind of picking and choosing anything. This is just where it landed. So if you're coming in today and you're like, whoa, that's an interesting topic, well, that's not our fault. We're just. How, how the Bible works as we're going through it. So we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up there. If not, you will find it on the screen. I do read from the English Standard Version, as does Chris. So let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since they would, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler, drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning we have. I thank you for this time we have to be in your word. And I thank you for when the word gets tough and challenging like it does today. Father, I pray that, that you would just kind of put me aside and that, that all that is said from here uh, is you and that I rightly handle what you have given to us in 1 Corinthians 5. Father, I pray that as, 
As we dive into this tough passage, you would speak to our hearts, you would convict us, you would challenge us, you would draw us close to you in this. Father, I pray that as as we dive into this, that, that when our hearts are burdened, that we turn and seek you first. Remind us of that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is a tough passage, and, and it's tough for several reasons. It's tough because it's, it's a sensitive subject matter. It, it's tough because we have to remember that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is not writing to lost people. Paul's writing to the church, a community of those who are supposed to be redeemed by Christ's rich grace in our lives, right? And, and when we remember that, that we, we see that as Paul's writing, he's going to have to write about church discipline. And, and, and this is what he's writing about here in chapter 5, that, that church discipline is, is not about removing everyone who sins from the church, right? If, if we were to remove everybody who sins from the church, if, if that were the case, the building was going to be empty, right? Let's, I, I know I'd have to leave. Just be honest with you. That's going to be where we're at. This is about those who do not repent and who do not reconcile themselves to God for their sin. This is, this is about those who, who walk in sin rather than walking in Christ. Right? So church discipline is also not about just kicking them out. Church discipline is about pulling them back. Right? But pulling them back to Jesus. Pulling them back to Christ. And I think about this, it would be totally unloving and it would be totally evil on our part to see someone walking close to a cliff and are walking right there at the edge and they don't see it and for us to then not warn them or pull them to safety, right? That would be really unloving. That would be really uncaring. We wouldn't just go up, look around and go, well, huh. That feller's walking awful close to that cliff, but you know, if that's his thing, whatever. I mean, who am I, to, who am I to judge what he chooses to do? We wouldn't say that about a dangerous situation. We wouldn't say that about that in those situations. Yet, within the church, that's almost exactly the attitude we have toward the sins of those within our own congregation. That's the attitude we have toward something that's, that's much more eternally concerning about our life than something just physically concerning. And, and I've heard sermons from this passage before that have, that have been written to just kind of rail against the evils of the world and to call the church to avoid contact with, with the evils of the world and the evil people who do worldly evil things, right? And, and yes, there is a call here to separate from evildoers, the sexually immoral, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters, right? Paul mentions some of those things specifically. But the call is to remove them from the midst of the church. Not to separate and isolate the church from the world around us. There's a little difference in that, right? And, and the other thing to think about is, as we've been reading this passage within the, the context of the greater letter of 1 Corinthians... The Spirit has been using Paul to, to call out, condemn, and, and ask the church to repent of their sins of favoritism, divisiveness, and hypocritical judgment of others. 
as, as we're building to this. And here the Holy Spirit is grabbing Paul and saying, you need to use this time in this spot here to call out the sin of tolerating unrepentant sin within the church. That's where he's going with this. That's the trajectory. See, Paul uses this particular man's blatant sexual immorality that was known among the church and among the community to call the church to hold one another accountable for the sin in their lives and in the sin of their lives of the congregants. Unrepentant sin destroys the local church. And it is the responsibility of the members of the local church to hold one another accountable, to encourage repentance in one another. This guy's sin is, is heinous. And it's detestable even by the perverse standards of the pagan world. It's a taboo even amongst those who see very little things as taboo. But but God is judging what is happening within the church just as severely as he's judging what's happening within this man's life. See, the idea that, that an unrepentant individual holds an equal footing in the church with brothers and sisters in Christ is appalling to God. See, when you, when you claim Christ, you become a spokesman for Christ. I love you, you did uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, a little royal ambassador pledge right there, man. That was, that was our motto growing up. I'm an ambassador for Christ, right? But that's what you become. You become a spokesperson for the local congregation that you're a part of. You become a spokesperson for your local congregation, and for the larger body of Christ as a whole, right? And, and then as a spokesperson for your local congregation, as a spokesperson for the body of Christ, do you want to have someone who is unrepentant and continually living in sin serving as a spokesperson with you? Think about that. See, it's, it's really arrogant, and, and, and Paul says that. You are arrogant in verse 2. It is arrogant for the, of the church to think that unrepentant sin in the midst is okay with God. It, it's arrogant of the church to think that, that unre, unrepentant sin in the midst of it is compatible with the regeneration that comes from Jesus Christ. Knowing there is unrepentant sin in the church should cause grief. It should cause mourning within the church. It should be a heart-breaking experience. It should cause sadness that there are people we love and care for in our church who have unrepentant sins in their lives. Now, I'm saying this not because I know of any. Understand that. Like, I, I don't know of any. I don't know if there's anything publicly happening that way here. But it's the idea, though, that, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are all a family unit. And, and that as family units, we have to have tough family discussions sometimes. And Paul's saying, y'all have not been having tough family discussions, and it's leading to the mess you have in your church. Hard, difficult discussions within the church that may lead to tears and crying and, and snot and all of the things associated with that can sometimes then lead to the hugging and laughing and repentance and reunion that is needed to do the work of God. And that's what this is going to be all about. 
And, and then we see that next part as Paul's talking about this. He's, he talks about this next part about, and this is really tough for people to hear. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. God, God is calling for the individual with the unrepentant sin to be removed from the local body of believers. Now, this is, this is where this gets tough because some will say that this, this sounds very un-Jesus-like, right? That, that I thought Jesus was more accepting of people than that. Yes and no. Keep your thumb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, and I want you to look at verses 15 through 17. This is Jesus speaking. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. lost my spot but if he does not listen right but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you i've already done that if he refuses to listen then sorry tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector these, these are the words of Jesus. And as I read these words of Jesus, it, it becomes evident to me that believers are to hold one another accountable. When there's sin in the lives of members of the church, we are to bring it to them and to work with them and encourage them to repent and get right before God. And if going to them one-on-one doesn't work, then we're to take some witnesses to work towards reconciliation. And if that doesn't work, then the church is to take the matter up. The whole church. The people of God are responsible and accountable to one another and to God for the sins of each other. We are, continually, we are to continually be working right, the grace of reconciliation in the daily lives of believers. We think about that. But if, we, if taking the matter of the, to the church doesn't reconcile the brother back to God and to God's people, Jesus tells him or tells us to treat him like a Gentile and a tax collector. That means Jesus sees this person as outside the community of faith. They are lost and in need of salvation. They are not seen as brothers and sisters in Christ at that point. Paul believes the same thing about this man who is sleeping with his stepmother. Right? He says in, in, in verse 3, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. This guy's lost, and y'all treating him like he's saved. And it's causing problems in your church, and you need to not do that. See, see the church in Corinth knows the sin of this man. This man is unrepentant. He has no shame in continuing in this sin. He's unregenerate. He does not have Christ, and the church should stop treating him like a brother in Christ and begin treating him like a lost person in need of salvation. 
And, and that's the reason behind verse 5. Man, verse 5 is one of the, the hardest things in Scripture to read. This is not something you're ever going to stitch on a pillow. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You're not going to buy that at Hobby Lobby, right? But what Paul's getting at here is, is it goes back to what Jesus was teaching us on how to treat an unrepentant brother as a Gentile or a tax collector. Paul's saying the same thing. This man is lost. He is lost in his sin, and the church is to, to love him enough to stop treating him like he's saved and to begin treating him as the lost person he is. This is tough love. This is, this is hardcore evangelism. This is loving someone enough to say to them, look, you claim Jesus Christ has entered into your life and has changed you. Yet there is no evidence of Christ in your life. We, we as a body of, of believers in Jesus Christ, we see this. right? And, and we don't know if you're truly saved or not. We're removing you from our fellowship as a believer, not because we hate you, but because we love you and wish to see you come to Christ and be changed by the Holy Spirit of God. We are going to witness to you regularly because we have hope that Jesus is going to do a work in your life and that we may see you come to him fully. That's the kind of love that's being described here. That is tough, hard love. But it's here. And that's what's happening in verse 5. See, there's, there's this overarching gospel hope that those who are under the discipline of the church will come to Christ. They have heard the gospel message. They have tasted of the good things of Scripture and that they, they, should, they should see and want a desire to be a part of that. And the Holy Spirit will begin to work in them. There's this gospel hope that the message of Christ they have heard will set permanently in their hearts. There's gospel hope that the Holy Spirit of God will convict them and draw them to Christ. There is gospel hope that they will be reconciled to God through Christ, then back to the church. Don't get this one backwards. We got to be cautious of this. Do not get this backwards. If, if when seeking reconciliation, we desire reconciliation to the church, before reconciliation to God, we are condemning the lost to a false reconciliation. And therefore, we are condemning them to hell. Don't get that wrong. The church itself does not have the power to save. Only Jesus Christ has the power to save. To reconcile someone to anything or to anyone other than Jesus Christ first is honestly evil and it's unloving and it ultimately ends in their eternal destruction. Gotta make sure we get in this right. The goal here in any church disciplinary matter is to pull that person to Christ and to Christ first and Christ above all else. Paul continues on and he says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as really you're unleavened. 
This is great. Um, we think of leavening now, we think of yeasts and adding yeast to things and that, that sort of thing. 2,000 years ago, you couldn't go into your grocery store and get a package of baker's yeast. That wasn't how it worked. Um, so, so leavening then was, was kind of like what we consider now sourdough. It was fermented dough. And, and, and it would be natural airborne yeast and just that fermentation process. And you would take just a little bit. It's amazing. When, when you watch bakers who use that sort of thing, the, the amount that they pull out is no bigger than a quarter. It's like a ball about the size of a quarter. And they can bake a whole one to two pound loaf of bread with a ball of sourdough leaven about the size of a quarter. And Paul's saying the same thing here. Like, look, this is what's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to, this stuff's going to spread. It's going to go everywhere. And, and, and he's driving home this point that God takes sin seriously. And because of that, God wants us to take sin seriously. God wants us to take our personal sin seriously. And God wants us to take the sin of those we call brothers and sisters in Christ seriously. And God wants us to take our corporate sin as the body of Christ seriously. And one of the corporate sins that Paul's calling out here that churches have suffered from for generations is not taking discipline within the body of Christ seriously. Right? Publicly known sin in the church that is not subject to church discipline spreads silently throughout the whole congregation. And there are destructive consequences that, that run through the entire fellowship of the church. And, and it's funny, as, as we've been reading through the, Paul's letter here to the 1 Corinthians, we've been seeing this build up. Right? We've been seeing this played out through this whole letter to the church in Corinth. We were talking about like you get to the end of chapter 4 and it's like Paul's cracking his knuckles ready to go. Right? He's writing. We talked about that in small group a little bit this morning that that it's, it's like that last little few verses of chapter four, it's like he's unbuckling his belt. He's ready to go. He's going to be a dad and he's going to take the rod to the kids. And, and, and he's ready to do that. But what we see here is we see first it was, it was the sin of, un, of favoritism that went unchecked. And that sin of favoritism that went unchecked then led to the sin of divisiveness within the church. And that sin of divisiveness went unchecked. And it led to the sin of hypocritical judgment within the church. And then that sin of hypocritical judgment went unchecked, right? And, and it's just all these things. And, and we see all of this tolerance for unchecked sin has led to the situation in which a man within the church believes that it is not sinful for him to have sexual relations with his stepmother, It, it almost sounds like an argument of the absurd, but it's playing out for real. And it happens in churches all the time. God takes sin seriously, and we should too. See, church discipline is about loving one another in, enough and, and desiring that that fellowship that each, other, that each individual is in grows closer and closer to Christ. And that's why we see in the middle of this section on church discipline, this, this amazing moment of grace, this amazing moment of mercy. In verse 7, when, when Paul says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He's, 
He's, he's like, guys, it's bad, but I got a cure. It's bad, but I got a rescuer. There's a fix. See, the work accomplished by Jesus on the cross makes atonement for our sins. It pays the penalty for our sins. And what Jesus has done for us is bigger than the sin that ever binds us. And this is the good news of the gospel, that, that while we who are still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Men. He has the power to reconcile you to God the Father. And it is him and him alone that can do this. We have much to celebrate in what Jesus has done on the cross. And we have much to rejoice about when, when someone is brought to Christ. And we have much rejoicing to do when someone who is under discipline of the church becomes reconciled to Christ. Paul's saying, remember who you are. You're Christ's. When someone is reconciled back to him, we, we are to shed our frustrations, we're to shed our anger, we're to shed our bitterness, and we are to rejoice that our God saves. He saves sinners for his great namesake. And we should rejoice in that. And Paul bookends this section about church discipline, reminding the church that their discipline applies only to the church. See, that's, that's interesting. Paul has instructed the church to not associate with the sexually immoral, the greedy, or the idolatrous people, but not at all meaning the people of the world because we would have to leave the world. Now, that, that's a really interesting turn of phrase that he's using there, right? What he's getting at is he's not commanding us to become isolationists. Right? There's, there's, we don't have to be of this world, but we have to remain in it until we're called home. Until Jesus returns or I die, I got to live and work in this world around me. But all the light, while he has called me as a, call, as a follower of Jesus Christ to be salt and light for the people of this world, that they may hear the gospel message and that they may then know Christ. If, if, I, if I'm not going to be a part of that, like I, I, that's the thing is, is I can't be an isolationist in that. I have to be a part of this. If, if the church of Jesus Christ ever isolates itself from the lost people of the world, I want you to think about this a second. If the church of Jesus Christ ever isolates itself from the lost people of this world, it will sinfully neglect the command of Jesus to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth and to make disciples. It has now become the thing it tried to avoid. It's become sinful. See, what is being commanded here is that God's church, those who claim the name of Christ and claim Jesus for salvation, are to rid their fellowship of those within who are guilty of unrepentant sin. Now, let's, again, let's talk about this idea of unrepentant sin. That means that, you're, that, that the individual is choosing to walk in sin rather than choosing to walk in Christ. But they are choosing to claim Christ while walking in sin. That's what they're talking about. This isn't the, I was out working on my truck, raked my knuckles across, lost all the skin on the top of my knuckles. I said some words that are, that are unpleasant 
to be said. And, and Ephesians 4.29 tells me I shouldn't say those kinds of words. And then I go, God, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about those moments that, that we get as, as a believer in Christ. We're frustrated and we may air a frustration to a brother or sister when we know the Proverbs and the Psalms teach us to, to restrain that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a person who chooses sin over Jesus Christ, but wants to wear the badge of Jesus Christ. That person is not to be amongst the group. That's what he's getting at here. Right? That we are to hold the name of Jesus Christ in high honor so that those among us are not defaming it by walking according, by not walking according to his commands and his teachings, right? We are to walk those brothers and sisters through the steps of reconciliation as we see taught in Matthew 18. And we're to do it with patience. We're to do it with grace. And we are to, to do it humbly after we spend much time in self-examination, much time in repentant prayer on our own part. We need to look for the log in our own eye before we ever Go looking for the speck in a brother or sister's eye. But the situation in Corinth has become blatant. Paul's saying you've got to get rid of this. He continues on. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Folks, sinners outside the church are going to sin. And until Jesus is in their lives and they are changed by him, this is what they will do. We are not called to judge them, but we are called to have compassion for them. We are called to love them. And we are called to love them in a manner that leads us to proclaim the gospel truth of Jesus Christ and him for salvation to them. But if you claim Christ, the only God can judge me argument does not apply to you. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge, Paul says. We are called to keep those inside the church accountable for their sin. We are to do it humbly we are to do it with grace. We are to do it with mercy. It is part of our reconciliation to Christ. And it is also part of our sanctification in Christ. And as we grow, grow closer to God through discipleship, we will want discipline in our lives that keeps us headed on a path that leads us to deeper fellowship with God and deeper fellowship with one another. As we close out today, I want to ask just one question. Are you right with God? Are you right with God? See, see we, we are, as, as a church, directed to purge the evil person from among us. Have you asked God if there is a chance that it could be you? And if it is, have you asked him to make you right with him? Have you responded to Jesus' offer of salvation by saying, yes, I know I am a sinner and I need to be rescued. 
I need your forgiveness. Jesus, please forgive me of my rebellious nature. Change me. Make me new. If you have never responded this way to the gospel, but you're feeling compelled to do so today, do it. If the Holy Spirit is moving in you that way, do it. And if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you, you know that you're, you're where you're supposed to be, if you can sit in this prayer time and say, I am right with God, great. But ask him then to be a little more thorough, right? As a follower of Christ, we can go before God and ask him what is keeping us from deepening our walk with him. We can ask him to purge the evil from within us so we can humbly serve him. We can spend some time this morning asking God to remove the log from our own eyes. Let's go to the word in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the day you've given us. Thank you for this time we've had to be here in your word and, and gathered. Father, I thank you again for tough scripture like 1 Corinthians 5. Father, we're asking one question. Are we right with you? Am I right with you? God, if I am not, and I claim to be a follower of Christ, illuminate within me what needs to be purged. Father God, if there's someone here who, who's saying, I know I'm not right with, with God because I've never really responded to Jesus by asking for forgiveness of the sin that I know is now blocking me from having that reconciliation with him. I pray, Lord, you continue to move in their lives that they would want to be reconciled to you. Father, continually have us seek to live a repentant life. Not just repenting one time, but continually seeking. Not repentance for the sake of salvation, but repentance for the sake of knowing you better and growing closer to you. 